everyone. I'm Nicole from Wild for Change, and welcome to AAA Radio. Today, we're speaking with Jody Whitaker, founder of Chicago Alliance for Animals. Chicago Alliance for Animals is a volunteer grassroots animal advocacy organization that began in 2015. The first goal of Chicago Alliance for Animals was to ban horse carriages in downtown Chicago. And in 2017, the organization began diligently documenting how the horses were treated by their handlers, as well as the horses' workloads by volunteers who spent countless hours observing the horses. With this documentation and persistence, an official horse carriage ban went into effect in January of 2021. I would like to read a quote by Jody that represents the effectiveness and efficiency of Chicago Alliance for Animals. Quote, as you likely know, we banned horse carriages and shut down puppy mill pet stores in the third largest city in the U.S. without any paid staff, any accidents or fatalities, any celebrity support, and with very little funding, end quote. For Chicago Alliance for Animals, the intention is simple and focused, to end suffering of animals and support their freedom. A warm welcome and thank you for being here, Jody. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are um, a celebrity in my eyes for everything that you have done and are still doing for animals around Chicago. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to start off with how did you become interested in getting a ban on horse carriages in downtown Chicago? Uh, when we formed, when Chicago Alliance for Animals formed in May of 2015, we had a couple meetings and uh, uh, we, I, it was actually my, my idea uh, that horse carriages be kind of one of our first campaigns because I saw it. Well, first of all, I've always, hated seeing horse carriages, you know, wherever I've been, you know, when I would go visit New York City. So it was something that I always wanted to see end. But I also saw it as something doable, something that, you know, in a sense, low hanging fruit compared to bigger issues. Um, so I suggested it and we agreed as a team that um, horse carriages would be one of our first campaign strategies. And we also uh, had had talked about animal circuses, you know, uh, kind of working on both animals used for entertainment. Um, and that's where uh, it started. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And I, and I smirked to myself as you were saying it was low hanging fruit because for many people like New York, still trying to get that ban going into effect. Mm -hmm. And your outlook was like, yeah, this is doable. We can get this done. Right. That's and one, one thing we thought about is the fact that this is something that everybody can see, you know, when they're out working the horses, it's not a hidden cruelty, unlike um, meat production or slaughterhouses or animal experimentation. We cannot see what's, what goes on behind the laboratory doors or behind the slaughterhouse walls. Um, what happens to these horses, we all can see with our own eyes. And, um, and it was very important to uh, learn Chicago's laws regarding the horse carriage trade. And we really, um, we use that to win because we proved that the operators broke the law, broke Chicago's law day in and day out. Every single time we documented the horses downtown, we, we witnessed and documented violations of the law. Wow. That's, and that is uh, pure diligence on your part. 
How many people besides yourself were out there documenting? There were pretty much uh, myself and three other dedicated volunteers. Uh, my my uh, my colleagues Barbara, Paula, and Claudia. Uh, we would document them on a regular basis and take turns. Occasionally, we would work together and do full uh, day long uh, day long documentation from nine ten in the morning until about one in the morning or as long as they were on the street because the law in Chicago is that they could only work the horses six hours in a 24 hour period. So what we realized we had to do was get down to the horse carriage stand at the start of the, of their day, whenever they arrived and literally stay there from, it was typically around nine thirty ten 10 in the morning when they'd start showing up and we would stay downtown all day. Uh, we would take short breaks to get a bite to eat or, or, you know, um, and, but we documented them to prove the city that these horses were not um, being taken back to the stable and re replaced with a new horse. It was the same horse that arrived at 9.30 a.m. that was still on the street at one in the morning. So they were working these horses more than double what Chicago's law allowed. And to, in all honesty, I don't know of any other city uh, that is doing this, and I've urged them to, is it's one thing to go down and document violations, but you have to prove to your city officials that they're overworking them. And re really the only way to do that is by staying down there the entire day, documenting, um, taking videos every time a horse comes back from a ride and basically saying, this is, you know, the horse with, um, you know, whatever companies. Uh, number two license plate. And this is the same horse with the same black splotch on his right side and the same, you know, uh, black carriage, you know, what, whatever uh, markings of the carriage or the horse or the driver to prove that it's the same horse. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So that's yes. what we did. And I really encourage any other city working on bands to do this. It's not like any of us wanted to spend our Saturdays being down at the horse carriage stand all day. But that is really one of the things that I believe truly got us our ban is we proved that they were being overworked in addition to numerous other laws being violated. That is tremendous amount of dedication. And, you know, to go there on a Saturday, like you said, and spend, you know, <laughs> those countless hours there, um, you know, just supporting those, those poor horses. And, in a relatively short amount of time, you were able to get this ban into effect. And my, my thought process is, is because of all of your hard work and diligence between you and the other volunteers consistently always going there and then having all of this information to give to our, um, you know, to our Chicago council to show them that this is what's happening you made, you made it happen in a relatively short amount of time. Right. I mean, we formed Chicago Alliance for Animals in 2015. And when we first started, we had monthly outreach uh, where we would go down uh, to the horse carriage stand and once a month have uh, a peaceful educational demonstration where we handed out flyers to the public, um, held our signs, um, had a, a paper petition we urged people to sign. And then we would also urge those people who would come up to us to also 
if they were local, we, we would ask them if they lived in Chicago. And if they were local, we'd urge them to contact their city council member and let them know they are their constituent and urge them to support a horse carriage ban. If they were not local, because the area is very much of a touristy area, uh, we would urge them to contact the mayor and urge the mayor to support a horse carriage ban. We did this for uh, two and a half years. Uh, and then my colleague Barbara and I were at the National Animal Rights Conference in Washington, D.C., and we were sitting at our booth talking, and it was kind of a slow time, and we just were saying, you know, our monthly outreach is not going to get us a ban. We're not doing enough. We have to pick up our game. And so we decided right then and there, we picked a day the following month in August to go down to the horse carriage stand in the morning and document. And uh, so that was August of 2017. And I really say that's when our campaign officially started because in August of 2017 is when we first started really watching them, trying to document any violations of Chicago's ordinance. And then shortly after that, we started doing what we called our daily action alerts, where we, we target a different uh, city council member or the mayor or some official in Chicagoland, and we, you know, we contact them. And so between those, those two strategies, I truly believe that is what got us to our ban two and a half years later. Amazing work, really. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm so thrilled that we no longer have to worry about that here because it is horrific and, you know, just I just recently there was another horse that I think died in New York City, mm-hmm. um, you know, being hit by cars. And it's just it's just an awful way for any being to live. And yeah. so I'm very grateful for all the work that you've done. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, were you involved with finding the horses sanctuary once the ban came into effect? Well, we were we were working on that part of our strategy the entire throughout our campaign. Um, however, it's not very easy to work on that without the ban. Um, but we yeah. had we were putting out feelers to sanctuaries and to rest, horse rescues uh, and to private owners. Um, and so, what we did when the ban went, you know, when we passed the ban in in April, uh, is we reached. I reached out to these sanctuaries and rescues that I had been communicating with, and asked them to reach out to the owners of the carriage horses. There are three. There were three companies. Uh, obviously, the carriage owners and carriage operators were not fans of me, um, so it would not make sense for me to reach out to them. Um, so I urged these. There were about at least four different sanctuaries and rescues that. You know, I, I provided them their phone numbers and email addresses, and they reached out and offered homes for the, any horses should they not be able to, you know, uh, care care for them properly or feed them. Or um, unfortunately, um, only one of the companies responded to them with a simple no, and then the other two companies, uh, to my knowledge, never responded to them. So uh, we we did everything we could. We had homes for every single horse. But at the end of the day, these horses are considered private property. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. in our world, animals are considered property and the owners refuse to relinquish the horses. So we were not able to get the horses to sanctuary, but that was not for lack of trying. We did everything in our, you know, in our possibility or our, um, that we could to get them to forever 
safe homes, but the owners refuse to let them go. Wow. That's a shame, but you, but I will, it, it is a shame, but I will say, sorry to interrupt, but to just finish my thought is obviously we all would have loved to see them go to sanctuary. But at the end of the day, we did end an abusive industry and the biggest of the three companies that broke the law all the time um, had on their website, on the front of their website, front page of their website, that they bred horses. Um, and we all know how many horses in our world need homes. So what we did was we stopped that company from breeding horses. And how did you do that? Because they don't have a, they don't have a job. Oh, okay. So if they're, I mean, if they're breeding horses for, you know, horses are expensive. The care That's and feeding is expensive. So mm -hmm. like I, like I said, by, by ending this industry in Chicago, we ended this company from breeding more horses into the world. Yeah. You, you did amazing work and, you know, there is a silver lining. You ended the abuse and, you know, that was the best, I'm sure the best day of their lives. Yeah. Um, Instead of being subjected to heat and cold and just standing for hours on end on concrete and, you know, it's, it's, it's so unnatural. Yeah. And if uh, any of the owners ever see this and they need homes for those horses, there are homes out there. I, I could reach out to three or four right away that would offer a home or two for horses. So there are homes out there if if the home, homes are needed for Chicago's carriage horses. Well, thank you for putting that out there. And so after that, Chicago Alliance for Animals began working with the partnership to ban horse carriages world, worldwide, where you mentor advocates and effective advocacy for banning horse carriages. So can you just talk a little bit more about that and how that is going? Sure. Yeah. So that's another thing that uh, we formed in 2017. 2017 is kind of the year where it all started coming together, <laughs> you know, with the documenting of the violations and the daily action alerts. And then I formed the partnership in, I think it was October, November of 2017. Oh. Excuse me. Um, because I was starting, I, you know, to get, I'm sorry. I have a stupid scratchy cough. Um, okay. I was starting to kind of get a feel for what needed to be done, especially with <laughs> documenting. I had to take a drink of water. I don't have COVID, but I get this dry cough. Yeah, that's what I had a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's awful. Mm -hmm. um, okay, sorry about that. Uh, so, um, so that's why I wanted to form the partnership to so I could work with um, activists and advocates in other cities and, and kind of share what we were doing in Chicago and, and also, you know, encourage them to share any tips or strategies that they have that work for them or have worked for them. And so I reached out, I, I did a lot of searching online to find any advocates in any other cities, New York, Dallas, Atlanta, um, St. Um, Augustine in Florida. And, you know, just urge them to join this partnership and let's share strategies. Let's help each other. Let's help do each other's actions because, 
you know, horse carriages are considered a tourist industry in that, you know, officials will say that the tourists love it. The fact is, is most tourists don't love it. There are people who do take rides, but we met so many people on the street of, streets of Chicago who were from other countries and other cities that hated seeing the horses being exploited. So um, I would say the average tourist does not like to see animal exploitation. So um, I was very uh, proud to start the partnership. And now we have, um, I've got three or four very active cities. Um, my New York City chapter is very active, as is Philadelphia and Dallas. Um, my Philadelphia partners had a rally back in September in, on at their city hall that I, I went to and I spoke at the rally. And uh, I, Philadelphia might be the next city to ban them. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm working with them and I'm there for them, you know, any way I can help. But they are doing great things on their own, um, meeting with officials and, uh, you know, constantly pushing, pushing their their city council and the mayor to to, you know, do the right thing here and uh, stop the suffering. And so, yeah, that's that's really cool because it's it's almost like it catches like on fire. You know, when you at least have one city that's already done it, then it it helps build momentum for other communities to do the same thing. Right. And anytime there's an accident or a fatality, which happens nearly on a weekly basis and in cities where horses are still forced to share the streets with motor vehicles, we share those stories in our daily action alerts and urge our, you know, the officials to you know, introduce legislation and, and get this done before a horse collapses and dies on your streets or before a human has to be sent to the emergency room. You know, right, that's, right. Not, that's not good for tourism. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and I don't think people even, you know, generally you wouldn't even think about that, you know, uh, a person can get hurt as well. Oh, yes. And I've got Right. And I've got a ton of uh, the partnership website is kept up to date very regular, regularly. Anytime there's a new accident or fatality or success or, um, you know, petition, we add it to the partnerships website. And so it's the most current up to date, um, uh, basically database of, of everything related to horse carriages. So, um, you know, it's I have so many stories just a year ago. Um, uh, 70, I believe he was 74, 75 year old man, uh, fell off a horse carriage and had to be airlifted to a hospital because he had a spinal injury. And then around the same time, a five-year-old boy got, fell out and ran, fell out of carriage and got ran over by a horse carriage in Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. So what it comes down to is these are thousand plus pound or more horses that are prey animals. So the littlest thing can make a, a carriage horse startle. Um, I remember one time in New York City, uh, somebody opened an, an umbrella and the horse took off and it sent people to the emergency room. So, yeah, you know, it basically so when one of these, yeah, one of these animals gets scared and they take off anybody in their wake, it can be a, a, in real danger, whether that's a, a motorist a pedestrian, a child, um, or the people in the carriage and the driver of the, of the carriage. So it, 
you know, some people think this is just like a nice, wholesome, you know, activity, but it can be a real risk to anybody in that horse's way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, thanks for opening up um, my eyes and listeners' eyes about the fatalities or injuries that people can incur with this. And I did check out the website. And yeah, it's amazing how many accidents have happened. And, um, you know, I can appreciate that that website is up to date and it shows everything that's current. And um, it, it's sad. It's really sad to see that. And that yeah. it's still happening, you know, in so many different cities. But um, a lot of times, a, a lot of times the city will pass a ban because of an accident. Salt right. Lake City is a good example. You know, they had a, a horse collapse in the middle of a very hot summer. And um, they got the horse back to the stable. Um, they And they got footage of this horse being moved with a forklift. Oh, it was just, I mean, the, the footage is very, you know, it's hard to see. Um, but that is why Salt Lake city passed their ban mm -hmm. and, you know, no city should, you know, no officials should wait until there's animal cruelty or animal abuse or, or, uh, you know, a kid, a child or an adult be suffering because of, of this really archaic activity when, when there's so many other plenty of fun things to do in our cities without exploiting animals. Right. Right. And like you said, you don't want to wait till an accident happens to make this ban go into effect because it really isn't fair to the horses in the first place. And then just waiting for something to happen to a horse or a person is unfortunate if you wait that long. Right. Yeah. Um, well, kudos to you and thank you for all the work that you do with that and, you know, helping other advocates do the same in other cities. And hopefully Philadelphia will get that ban into effect real quick. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. would be amazing. Now, uh, Chicago Alliance for Animals also has two current campaigns. One is for a tortoise named Spur and a coyote named Rocky. Can you give listeners some background about what's happening to these two animals? Sure. Uh, so uh, both campaigns started, well, Spurs campaign started last October and we started working on Rocky in January. So that's going on a year. And uh, so Spur is a sulcata African tortoise who has, who was stolen from her homeland um, and trafficked to Illinois. And she has been stuck in a tiny barren display case in a pet store in Lincolnwood, which is just northwest of Chicago. It's just, it's not too, it's actually just a few miles from where I live on the north side of Chicago. Um, and she has been in this display case for more than 30 years. And all she has is hay. She doesn't have the ability to dig, which is something sulcata tortoises do. Um, she, uh, when we first started our campaign, we would go and take video. She's right outside the glass display case. So we can take video of her and she would see me if I walked from one end of her cage to the other, which I would say is maybe four by six feet. She would try to climb up on the side of the, of the cage, which is tiled like a, like a bathtub tile. Mm -hmm. And it's, she's got these big claws and she tries to climb up and she just falls. And it was heartbreaking. 
And if I walked to the other edge, she would follow me and try to climb up and then fall. And so, yeah, so in addition to Spur, who has literally, who can live, these animals can live to be 100 years old, give or take. She's been in this cage for more than 30 years, and we believe she's approximately 40 years old. Um, but she could live it there another 50, 60 years, um, which would just, it's tragic as it is. It would, But it would be really tragic if that was her entire life. She yeah. doesn't get to feel sunshine on her back or her shell. She doesn't get to feel a breeze. She doesn't get to, uh, you know, to feel earth under her feet. Um, you know, we have been told that sulcatas are very... Um, um, solo animals. So, you know, we don't know if she'd want companionship, but, you know, she doesn't have a choice. She, you know, I mean, maybe she, maybe they are independent animals, but maybe she would like companionship. The other thing is she, we've never once seen water in her enclosure. Now we've been told that sulcatas get the majority of their moisture from, from their diet. And that, you know, that is true. However, she also, you know, could be given a choice. We've never once seen drinking water in her cage. Um, but I'll put all together, it's just wrong. And she lives under artificial light. And her natural habitat would be a very hot, climate, hot, dry climate. Yet she is in this display case in a store where there's multiple other species of animals. There's rabbits, there's fish, there's guinea pigs, there's... Um, prairie dogs, there's opossums and all kinds of wild animals. <clears throat> and there's rock music. Now oh, I'm a big, oh. I'm a big fan of rock music, but these animals are in this very artificial environment where they cannot get away from this music. They can't get away from artificial light. Um, and because she's in the store, they can't keep it at, I don't Honestly, no, I knew, I knew at one point, but off the top of my head, the exact temperature, which is appropriate for her species, but they can't keep it at that temperature because there's other species that it'd be too hot for them. Right. So, you know, so, so, um, the, the store sells all these wild animals and the village of Lincolnwood has a law on their books that states that, uh, um, no, what, nobody in the village of Lincolnwood can keep a naturally wild animal. So we started testifying at their board meetings uh, last December. And um, because of our work, they put it on their March agenda and uh, they voted to waive their own law. <laughs> they waived their own law, which uh, is keeping Spur in this extreme captivity. Do we know why they decided to waive their own law to just they, benefit other beings? Well, they, you know, I mean, they didn't really explain it. They just voted on it. And oh. uh, basically two of them voted to enforce their law and there were, there were six trustees. And so it was a majority vote to waive the law. And because they waived their law, that keeps Spur in this in this immense ca captivity. Now, had they voted to enforce their own law, it would it wouldn't require Spur to go to sanctuary, which we do have two sanctuaries willing to take Spur and give her a forever home. And one is in Arizona called the Desert Oasis Turtle and Tortoise Sanctuary, and so it would be a much more um, natural habitat for 
a silk cottage tortoise than Ch- Chicagoland's cold winters. And she's um, up against the window in the winter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. I and um, had they enforced that law, it would force the owner of the store to remove spur from the store from Link- the village of Lincolnwood. And we would hope that that would spur him, pardon the pun, to get her to sanctuary. But so that's something we we continue to speak at their board meetings uh, twice a month. Uh, the first and third Tuesdays of the month we go and we have three minutes to make our case and they listen to us. And uh, it's something we did with the horse carriage campaign. We would go every month to the city council meeting and testify in support of the horse carriage ban. So thing is, is legislation, especially humane legislation, does not happen quickly. It's a process and you got to just stick with it and we will. Yeah. And that's, you, you sure show you can demonstrate how it's done to um, be persistent, be patient and continue the, um, <clears throat> the support for the animals. Um, and, and it's not easy because you want, you want to see them free now. And, but the thing is you can't give up. Right. Um, now, is Spur just a showcase there? She's not for sale. She's not for sale. Um, the owner claims he's her. she is her pet. Uh, I'm sorry, that she is his pet. Um, but in all honesty, I believe that she is a prop. She's a prop to get people to come into his store. Um, you know, if kids see Spur, you know, it's not often you see a huge you know, hundred pound tortoise in a window. She's, you know, she's spectacular. Yeah. She's beautiful. And so he, I believe she is used as a prop. Yes. Um, and she's not, you know, she's not there for her benefit or for her welfare. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's just being exploited basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I saw the video of her. I was watching it, and it, you know, made my stomach turn because, you know, like you said, she's in this very small enclosure and tile, and it's just so unnatural. And for her to be right next to the window, and you know, listening to music that's not even soothing, it's, you know, it's really yeah. unfortunate. But thank you for the work that you're doing for her. Thank you. And uh, we did get uh, an interview and an article um, ran in the Chicago Tribune a couple weeks ago. And the owner actually stated that if she were to go to sanctuary, she would develop an infection in her shell. So she can't go to sanctuary. I reached out to a few veterinarians uh, urging, you know, to try to get them to maybe of follow up regarding this because I'm not a tortoise expert. I'll, you know, I'll admit that right here and now. However, two veterinarians have told me that's a, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, how she was able to be trafficked and I'm assuming flown here from Africa to a a tiny store in Chicagoland. She didn't die from an infection in her shell, but now supposedly she just you know, if she were to go outside, she'd get an infection. So um, 
the other sanctuary willing to take her, uh, which is called Big and Small Turtle and Tortoise Sanctuary. I think I'm saying that right. And they're in Iowa. Um, the founder of this sanctuary responded to a post uh, that I shared of the article where he states uh, this um, nonsense, in my opinion. Um, and she she claimed it's outright it's an outright lie and that um, it's an excuse to keep her inside. Yeah. So. Right. It's not even medical advice that's been given for Spur. Yeah. And <laughs> I could go on and on, but we uh, not this last time we testified, but the time before the second time in November, um, the animal stores veterinarian who supposedly has cared for Spur for more than two decades she got up to testify in support of the animal store and in support of the owner. And yet she continued to call Spur a he, a he and a him. No. Spur is a female. And yet this veterinarian who claims to have, you know, treated Spur for more than two decades didn't even know her gender. <laughs> That's completely unfortunate. It's kind of crazy. It's it's that's very embarrassing on her part. To, I mean, to know Spur for twenty years and not even know her gender. Right. Oh. Okay. Um, so that's one of the campaigns that uh, Chicago Alliance is currently working on. Can you give us some background about Rocky and what happened with? Yes. Uh, so we we were alerted to Rocky's situation in January, I believe. So going on a year now, um, he was found as a pup in Tennessee um, as a very young pup. His eyes were not even open yet. Um, and the people who found him thought he was a dog, like a puppy. And so they took him to a local animal shelter. And when the animal shelter realized that he was a coyote, um, I, I'm not sure the next steps or, or what transfer what transpired, but he was transferred to Illinois, and he, ever since he was stuck in a cage in what's called River Trail Nature Center, which is a, um, in my opinion, a roadside zoo in the Cook County Forest Preserves, where they take wild animals who either, Rappy, my kitty, I don't know if you can hear him, he's like meowing. <laughs> um, <laughs> He wants my attention. So uh, they take wild animals who either have been injured or, in Rocky's case, imprinted upon by humans. And they just stick them in a cage and for people to look at. And Rocky has no uh, medical conditions. Uh, and he may not, he can't be released to the wild because he is, you know, he is a social animal and he actually craves human attention. We have videos of the handlers at River Trail Nature Center going into his cage and he likes the attention just like a dog. Okay. Bi biologically, he's a, he's a wild animal, but he is socially uh, like a dog. So imagine a dog being stuck in a cage in the middle of Chicagoland's bitter cold winters. And all he's got is a plastic dog house. He doesn't have, and, and coyotes are very social animals. He has no companionship. 
he gets companion, you know, he gets handlers come in here and there throughout the day to feed him or to refresh his water, but he doesn't have companionship like a dog who lives in a home with a family or who has a, compa a fellow companion dog or cat. Um, and the videos we have of, of Rocky, he paces constantly. Yeah. Has, you know, he can't roam. He can't run. He can't uh, burrow. Um, if he gets scared, there are no places for him to hide. I saw um, that, which is unfortunate because I know that coyotes have dens and yeah. he doesn't even have, he has nowhere to go. Yeah, he can hide behind his little plastic doghouse. But how much, you know, how, I don't know how that, it's, it's so different than being, having like an underground den, which the Wild right. Animal Sanctuary in Colorado, who has offered to take him in free of charge, they're willing to come to Chicagoland and do everything it takes to bring him back. Yeah. And yet the Cook County officials and their there are veterinarians who one of their veterinarians who who you know spoke out against this plan is a an expert in artificial insemination of farm animals so he's basically a bought and paid for um farm veterinarian animal what veterinarian that to do with the coyote right he even claimed that he does not i don't know his exact wording but that he did not have coyote experience so <laughs> it's just representative a representative of right. Rocky. Right. So what, what it comes down to is, you know, it's 2022, it's almost 2023 and animals are still being bought and sold and displayed like their props, like their toys, like their material goods. And it's time for it to end. And, you know, I've got a lot of goals for CAA and for the partnership, but it seems like, I keep hearing about these, a new story about an animal stuck in a cage in a mall or in a, you know, in a, who knows where, you know, and right. it's, it's really should not be happening anymore. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I feel at, at this point in this time in our world that we have, we should have been more progressed than we are. And I still see how animals are just treated as a commodity and exploited. It's so unfortunate. Right. So again, thank you for, you know, championing for uh, Rocky because it, I, yeah, I watched his video too. And I, and I was horrified. I was horrified. I was so sad. And, you know, even a human being couldn't, live in one room in their house for the rest of their life and just yeah. look out the window. You know, it's the same thing for animals, especially wild animals that need to roam, be on the hunt and, you know, be, and, and coyotes are social animals. It's just, it doesn't make any sense why he would be detained here. Right. There was a, I think it was, might've been last year. I think they'd put Christmas tree, you know, it was after the holidays outside his cage and he was on the inside of his cage smelling this tree through bars <laughs> and you know and it, the animal doesn't even have trees to like sniff and, mm -hmm. and natural he has to do it through bars and when they give him one so 
there are just so many things wrong with this situation. And, you know, their excuse that he's imprinted upon by humans and that, it, you know, they use similar excuses to what the animal store uh, says that if he were to go to sanctuary, who knows if he would survive? Who knows if he would be safe, if another animal might attack him? The fact is, is people who run animal sanctuaries, especially one that is so well-respected as the wild animal sanctuary, they know what they're doing. They do this on a regular basis. They know how to, they're not just going to take Rocky from Chicagoland to Colorado and plop him down and let him run. That's not how they do it. They It's a slow, careful introduction uh, between cages so that they can't harm each other. Um, yet, you know, Chicago, Chicago's uh, commissioners, or I'm sorry, Cook County commissioners and their experts are just throwing out these fear, fear tactics, you know, that he won't survive or he'll get sick or he'll die or he'll get attacked. And the way I look at it is, number one, I don't believe any of that. I believe that the sanctuaries know how to slowly and carefully introduce animals to each other. And if it doesn't work, then they they keep trying or they, you know, or, it, you know, maybe Rocky does have to be a solo coyote out there. But I don't see that happening whatsoever because he craves attention. Yeah. So he hasn't even had the opportunity to befriend another coyote. Because he was taken from the wild as a pup and then put into a cage. So it, it's tragic and it needs to be, it needs to fit, be fixed. Sadly, we've been working on a campaign and uh, a colleague who we started working with, we just found out this today, that she uh, has filed a lawsuit against the Cook County Forest Preserve. Really? Yes. And... We spoke, myself and my colleagues who are working actively on this campaign, spoke with uh, the Cook County Commissioner, whose district is where Rocky is at. And he supports, he's publicly announced that he supports Rocky's release to sanctuary. Um, and we had a meeting this morning to reconnect. We had a meeting a couple months ago. He was. We had an election in November, so we were waiting for the election to be over. He ha he was reelected, and his goal was to start, you know, working with the newly elected commissioners and urge them to support our humane campaign because he does as well. Um, but when I told him about this lawsuit, which is not something we did, um, he basically explained to us, which we, we already knew, is this is not probably a good idea. Um, a lawsuit can drag out three to five years. Um, and this is a lawsuit against one of the most powerful counties in the United States, Cook County. Right. Um, so there's, it, it's, there's nothing we can do now. Um, just hope that the lawsuit does win uh, and win quickly so Rocky can get to sanctuary. Otherwise, it's going to be tied up in our legal system and Rocky's going to pay the price. Well, can you still continue the campaign as well, even though this is a lawsuit now? Yes, definitely. And we will. We'll continue okay. to use the strategies we used uh, with, with other campaigns where we peacefully reach out to Cook County commissioners and let them know that regardless of what's happening, you know, in the legal arena, um, 
to ur please urge them to do the right thing and allow him, you know, and to think about, you know, think about at the end of the day, who we're fighting for. This is not about money. It's not about, you know, status. This is about getting a sentient being who has been basically had his life stolen from him and, and he was locked, locked in a cage and he doesn't deserve to be in captivity and isolation. So we, yes, we, that's a very good question. I appreciate you asking. We will keep fighting. CAA will keep fighting. We'll keep putting out actions, urging our volunteers and followers to take a minute or two of their day to reach out to officials and urge them to do the humane thing for this animal. Yeah, and it's great. I was just going to ask you about that. Um, you have daily action alerts on Facebook, which is so, you make it so easy for somebody to just go on the page, see what needs to be done, make a call, email, um, go on Twitter or, you know, Facebook. And However, yes, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Exactly. I, that, yeah. I love that. I love that idea. And could you talk more about that? So people. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something again, that we incorporated in 2017 during the horse carriage campaign. And, you know, I realized that everybody's so busy, right? We all have our jobs. We have family, we have a lot going on and we're all bombarded with social. If you're on social media, you're bombarded with all kinds of you know, things coming at you, um, urging you to do this, sign that. So I, my goal was to make these as easy as possible. And sometimes people look at them and they get intimidated because I do provide a lot of information, but the ultimate goal is one minute of people's times of people's time. Uh, and to, to contact the, whoever the target is. And when I say target, that's not a negative, negative term. It's simply means the person we're reaching out to that day. And then I urge people to make contact in only one way, whatever way they prefer. So if they're comfortable making a phone call and either at talking to the person who answers the phone or leaving a voicemail um, or, or sending a Facebook message, which is so easy to, it might be the easiest way to do it. Is yeah. to, And I say one sentence. So where I say in my action, I say today's DAA is to urge Philadelphia City Council member, you know, Joe, you know, Joe Jones to ban horse carriages. That's all we're asking is one sentence saying, you know, dear council member, please ban horse carriages, hit send or leave that voicemail. You know, I'm just urging the city council member to ban horse carriages. And then you hang up. That's it. And um, we don't, we're not asking people to contact them every way we provide, just one way. And uh, and and if you're taking a, more than one minute, I tell people you're taking too long because <laughs> because it's really, I mean, once that official or decision maker gets, you know, four or five calls, messages, they're not really, they're not going to sit and read, you know, a very, very long email. They get the gist of what we want in my opinion. Yeah. So um, it's, I personally do take more than a minute usually because I like to tweet and I, you know, I try to craft it and provide a video and tag other officials, but that's, this is what I do full time. I, I work on animal advocacy full time. Uh, when the people who have jobs and, you know, one minute is all we ask and, uh, and they don't have to do it that day. You know, if they're busy that day and they want to do it on the weekend, they, that's good too, because then that action or that person is getting 
messages trickling into them, you know, not all in one day. And the other good thing about it is unlike auto messages where you simply click send to the official, which is an auto email, uh, you typically, uh, which sometimes or maybe a lot of times can go to spam because that official is getting hundreds, if not thousands of emails of the same email going to their inbox. So it could go to their spam folder. What makes these DAAs powerful is the official is getting kind of hit each multiple ways. They're getting, they're getting phone calls. They're getting voicemails. They're getting Facebook messages, tweets. Um, If we have a website contact form for the official, I'll add that. So they're getting contacted through their website. Uh, they could be getting uh, Instagram messages. So that's when people do it individually and they use their own words, that's really much more powerful than, you know, I'd say even, you know, thousands of, of the same email. I agree. I agree. Because now you're actually getting um, a taste of each individual by yeah. that crafting their own words. And even if it's one sentence. Right. Exactly. And and the other thing is, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, you need to give us a script. And I do, the script is today's DAA is to urge them to ban bull riding. You know, that was today's DAA is the bull bull riding is coming to um, the Hoffman Estates, a suburb of Chicago um, in February. And so today's date action is to urge the mayor of Hoffman Estates to ban the the um, bull rides coming in February. That's that's the pitch. I I don't need to provide you a script. That's all you have to say. If yeah. you want to if you want to share the video that I provide of a bull breaking his leg at a bull riding event, you can do it. If you want to describe it, you can. If you just want to say ban bull riding, that's fine too. But that everybody's going to write it in their own way. So that official is going to get multiple messages, multiple ways in multiple, um, everybody's saying it in their own way. Right. And that Different is platforms. far more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find out about um, all of these animals that like Spur or Rocky or the bullfight or the bull rides that are, are coming? How do you learn about all of these? Um, I'm, you know, I'm on social media a lot. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. So anything coming to Chicagoland, I typically uh, become aware of through either through my own research or people let me know. Uh, you know, for example, today I got a message from a woman who went into a pet store in uh, Logan Square, which is a just a new one that I've heard about. Um, and she said the conditions are awful. Oh. And so, you know, I would like to, to you know, fight every issue I know about, but there's only so much time in the day. So, um, you know, a lot of times if, if it's a new issue, I, you know, I, I wrote back to her right away and urged her to look into who the alderman is or where that pet store is. And then we can contact that alderman and urge the alderman to, you know, go and visit the store and maybe urge him to do something about it. But I need people to help, you know, with our campaigns because, CAA is pretty much me. I, I run the day-to-day. I do the DAAs. I do everything related to a nonprofit charity. So 
um, fundraising, which I hate doing, <laughs> but I have to do in order to do this full time, um, is all up to me. I have no employees and I, you know, I, the, I'm the one who plans our outreach and plans, um, you know, when we testify before officials. So people, you know, alert me to new animal cruelty or animal exploitative issues on a regular basis. Unfortunately, I cannot, you know, work on every single one that I'd like to, because again, there's only so much time in the day. Right. Um, so if, you know, this is kind of letting people know, if you want to fight for something, I, I'll help and I can help you post a DAA, but you, they got to help me too. You know, um, I think sometimes people want, you know, they tell us about something and they want us to, to do all the work and we can't, you know, I'm not PETA. I don't have a team of hundreds of employees and I don't have millions of dollars. Um, this is a grassroots all volunteer organization. And, um, so believe me, I will help you as much as I can, but you got to help too. You got, <laughs> if it's your, if it's, if it's something you need help with, like for example, this pet store in Logan square, I will do what I can, but I'm hoping this woman will look into the alderman. And so. Right. And it makes sense anyway, that the more voices, the stronger we are, you, you know, one voice can make an impact, but many voices can do much more than that. They can actually help produce change. Right. Which is with these DAAs, I really, you know, CAA only has uh, just over 3000 members. That's not a lot of people when you think about it. I, actually, when we banned the horse carriages and I spoke at our, the license committee, when it was in the license committee, um, I remember my testimony that day saying on behalf of CAA's 1700 members. So that was half of what we've got now. <laughs> and that was in 2020. So I've got, you know, there are people out there doing our actions and not everybody lets us know. And that's okay. I mean, ideally I urge people to comment how they took action after doing so because for multiple reasons that helps boost the post, but it also helps me to know how many people are actually doing it. Um, so that if I speak with officials, I can mention that. Um, there are reasons around, you know, why I ask for people to write, but they don't have to, but I think many people do them who don't comment how, and because we are making a difference and, uh, you know, we have our two big successes, banning horse carriages and, um, um, shutting down the puppy mill stores in Chicago, but we have other successes that, you know, might not be so considered so big, but for example, we did a DAA. This was a, this was shortly after CAA started. Um, there was a festival in Chicago. There were two festivals in Chicago, um, street fests that had like camel rides and pony rides. And we got two of them to stop having animals at their fests. That's and, work. Yeah. One was Taste of Lincoln Avenue, which uh, my friend Sally, who, well, I became friends with her because she wanted to see these animals. You know, she lives by uh, the area where Taste of Lincoln Avenue was held. And um, she would see these ponies walking, you know, in circles in the heat. And she hated it. So we had a mutual friend and Sally reached out to me and we started doing DAAs to the alder woman where Taste of Lincoln happened, as well as to the uh, the people who put on Taste of Lincoln uh, 
taste of Lincoln Avenue. And uh, we got them to commit to no longer having animals at their fest. We did the same thing with the Puerto Rican fest. And within days, I got an email from the, um, I don't know his title, but the person who ran the uh, taste of, or the Puerto Rican fest, who told us he will stop having animals at his fest. Beautiful. <laughs> so, so these actions are very powerful and uh, I, I'm very proud of them. You, as you should be. And, you know, and it, it, what's amazing is, is it, that it doesn't always take a whole lot. Sometimes the people that are in charge of these, you know, fests, they don't, maybe they don't realize that, you know, these animals are being exploited, you know, maybe they are not truly understanding what is entailed in their lives. And when somebody speaks out about it, you know, you just, you're raising awareness. And that person that ran the Puerto Rican fest was like, okay, it's done. Right. I mean, I, I think we only did, if I recall, I think we only did one DAA on him, maybe two at the most. I know it, I know it wasn't more than two. And when I got that email, I was, I was just thrilled because it didn't take long at all. And it was a very polite, you know, email from him, you know, and I thanked him and, you know, I, I urged my followers to thank him, you know? And so that was like a, it, it was in a way, it wasn't a lot of fanfare, you know, it wasn't like two and a half year campaign, but it was a big success because, you know, you look at these two street festivals that no longer pay people to come and exploit animals for the weekend. Right. And so the more we can get festivals or, you know, um, you know, whatever um, facilities to stop hiring these exploiters, that will put them out of business. That will put animal exploiters out of business and they'll realize there's no money in the animal exploitation game. And that I've got to maybe change my business uh, model which is, you know, our goal. Um, And let me just tell you another quick um, success that happened recently was uh, another town in Massachusetts was trying to, they were trying to bring horse racing to this, um, to this town and uh, horse racing wrongs um, was, had a campaign too. They worked on it as well. So I'm not, this is not CA taking full credit, but we did a DAA, a DAA, a DAA on it and urged um, people to reach out to the board of this town. And it's a very, it was, the town is called Hardwick and it's a, it's a small, I believe little town in Massachusetts. And we reached out to the, uh, the town's board. Honestly, I think it was like three people. And at the beginning of the week, they said they were going to, they were the following week, they were going to make a decision and they were going to let the the people of the community decide. Then we did a DAA on it. And we, I urged people to reach out to the board and share all of the killings, how horses die daily from horse racing around the country and around the world. And people did, and people took action. And the next day, the next day, there was an article in the paper saying that the board had a meeting and decided to um, to uh, say no to the horse racing plan. Awesome. And, and again, earlier in the week, they said that they were going to let the community decide and that they would make a decision the following week. 
And a day after our DAA, there's an article how the they all of a sudden said, no, it's up to us and we're not going to, we're not bringing horse racing to our town. So amazing. <laughs> I got to say, you know, that had something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it makes you feel good when you see a win for animals. Oh, yeah. You know, because we work so hard for to give them their freedom and the, the respect and compassion that they deserve. And when you see a win like that, it's like, you know, you could just ride on that coattail forever because it, right. it's like, it's huge. It's a huge benefit for all of those horses. Exactly. And you know, what you had said about, you know, officials don't always know. I mean, look, and you, you are, that is hundred percent true. Um, people don't always think about, you know, po- you know, for the horse carriages or pony rides as being uh, an exploitative event. They think, you know, horses, I've been doing this ponies walk around in a circle and they're fine. And so what my friend Sally was saying about these pony rides is that they would be walking around this turnstile in the sun all day. They had no, she said she never saw the handlers give them water and that they were just working in the direct hot sun all day. And so when you share this information and the videos, um, you know, of the horse racing kills, we have the documentation that proves why this is wrong. The bull riding DAA I did today, I shared a video of a bull breaking his leg at a bull riding event uh, last um, October, September, October. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, we have the, a lot of times we have the video footage or we have the documentation um, and officials just aren't always aware. And so one thing I run into with other, other animal activists that they say often is my officials don't care. Uh, no officials care. And I warn animal rights activists to think that way, to not think that way, because a lot of people in politics or legislators, they have companion animals like we do. They have cats and dogs and they have a general sense of being good. And so we have to give them a chance. I mean, you look at our horse carriage campaign. When we started in 2015, one of the first things I did was reach out to the two aldermen where the horses worked uh, in the area that they worked. They never returned my calls. They never returned my calls. Even after we, the second time we proved that the horses were being worked more than double what the law allowed, I reached out to them. He didn't return my call. However, Less than a month later, he introduced a, the ordinance to ban horse carriages. And then you fast forward to March of 2020 when we get our set, finally get our second hearing in the license committee. And one of the horse carriage owners got up there to testify and he claimed that we lie, that we edit our video footage and we doctor our, our footage. And he slandered us and he basically said, you know, that we burn or one, I don't think it was him, but one of them said we burned down their barn. And after he was done, both Alderman Riley and Alderman Hopkins adamantly defended me, CAA and my volunteers and said, you can't call these people liars because they care about animals. You know, it was the city of Chicago that cited and find your companies, not the Chicago Alliance for Animals. So you go from, you know, 
these aldermen not returning our calls. And yeah, that's easy for someone to say, well, they don't care, you know, but then you, it's our job as animal advocates to prove to officials to make them care because most people have a heart, but you've got to show them. And we did, we showed them the violations. We showed them how, you know, horse carriage operators slapped the horses once that we got on video. We showed them how one of the operators threw a lit cigarette down at the horse's feet. You know, they don't see this. It's our job to see it, to document it, and then to share it with them. And, and, and that's what we did. And then, then they were on our side. Wow. I love that story. It, it, you really um, paint a really nice picture of just, you know, be kind, raise awareness, be persistent. Um, Would these be, I guess, what would be your best advice for other animal advocates when they are wanting to do an outreach for, um, to the public, to city officials, to legislators? What, what is the best, I guess, frame of mind for somebody that wants to make a positive outcome for animals to have, you know, while they're doing these action alerts or um, just trying to make a difference for animals? Well, I, I'm, you know, I believe that you always have to use a multi-pronged approach. You know, one, if, you know, for example, the horse carriages, I don't think we would have been successful had we just done one thing. You know, sometimes people say, you know, just do petitions. In my opinion, petitions are not enough. It's one strategy. It's one strategy and it's an important strategy. And I, I, every campaign I have, I include a, a petition. I have a petition for Rocky. I have a petition for Spur, but you can't rely on a petition. You can't rely on auto emails that you ask people to hit, click and send. That's not enough. Um, so I'm always open and thinking about new strategies. I mean, sometimes I get my most, you know, like new ideas, like when I'm, kind of waking up and, and I'm like, Oh, I should try that. So I always, one thing I would say is don't rely on just what we've done in the past. You know, so animal, it's an animal rights issue, get a petition. Yes. Get a petition, but also do DAAs and call them whatever the heck you want. You don't have to call them a DAA, whatever you want to call them, but ask your people, your volunteers, your supporters, people who care about the issue to call those in power, call the people who can stop it. So if it's a local issue, your city council, if it's a state issue, your local, your state senators, your state representatives, your governor, you know, um, do that. If you can document the issue for bull riding, for example, go and try to document the bull riding, show how cruel it is. So you get the footage on video and then the next DAA to that, you know, legislator, you send that footage to them. So it's, it's a multi-pronged approach. Um, Also uh, testifying before officials. I urge everybody, if you are working on a campaign in your city, you got to figure out how your city allows public comment. Chicago allows public comment at 30 minutes at each of their city council meetings. For two years, myself and others would go and testify and when we first started, when we, they first started allowing it, 
it was first come first serve. So we had to get to city hall at 7 a.m. for a 10 a.m. meeting. We had to sit there for three, three hours before wow. they let it, well, they'd let us in about nine 30, but it didn't start till 10, but we had to sit on, we basically sat on the floor for two and a half hours waiting. So we'd be one of the first 10 people to speak. Um, so, you know, I urge anyone working on a campaign, you know, go and testify before your city council, urge them to ban whatever it is you're, you know, or do whatever it is you're trying to do. And then of course, meet with your city council. Everybody has somebody who represents them and you can find out who represents you by going online in Chicago. For example, you just type in who is my alderman and then a link will come up. You put in your home address and that will tell you who your alderman is and then give them a call or send them an email and say, hi, my name's Jody. I am your constituent or I live in your ward. I want, would like to set up a meeting with you. They work for you. So a lot of people are afraid to do this, but you shouldn't be. I mean, I, I get that, you know, you might be, if that's the case, you know, I'm always willing to go with anyone. <laughs> if, you know, if you want to go meet with your city council member and you're maybe a little intimidated or whatever, I can always go as someone who can maybe speak to the animal issue and you would go as their constituent. Um, so that just throwing that out there, but these are things that, you know, combined help pass humane legislation. Yeah, I like I like that. You're you're trying to get it from every angle, which is so helpful. And it's really important, like you said, to meet in person. Um, and I know it, it can be daunting to meet a, a, a city official or a senator, legislator in person to talk about these issues that you care about. But if you think about it, you're going there because you have some background, some knowledge about what you have passion for what you want to see changed. And right. a lot of times they're not aware of certain issues and you're just bringing it to light. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if you are intimidated by it or, you know, just think about what the animals are going through and maybe yeah. try to think of it in that, in that light that, you know, it might be a little nerve wracking for you or scary, but what you're doing is very, you know, minor compared to what that animal lives through day in and day out. So sometimes we have to step outside of our comfort zone to, to do what the best for the voiceless. And in our world, animals simply don't have a voice. Do they have voices? Of course they do, but they don't, their voices can't protect them from the harm that we do to them. So, um, and you know, again, I'm always willing to talk with people and help them guide them to how to go about these things. Um, I've been doing it for a long time now. And uh, um, I, I, there was a woman in Indianapolis, uh, uh, one of my partners who's working on banning horse carriages there. And I reached out to her and I said, you know, would you be willing to contact your city council member? And she, she said to me, you know, and she responded, she's like, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. And I tried to, you know, slowly guide her and say, you know, I get it. Like, but it's as simple as making a call saying, hi, I live in your district. Um, can I have a Zoom call with you? You know, a lot of times in this new post-COVID world, we don't have to meet in person. We don't have to go out of our way and drive somewhere. We can do it all on Zoom like you and I are doing this call right now. Right. So all these things are doable and, um, and phone calls are, you know, e emails can be a minute or so long. So um, 
But yeah, I think that in order to pass humane legislation, um, looking at multiple strategies is always a good idea and a, a, the way to go to um, not just one way works. Thank you for that, Jody. I really appreciate that. That was very helpful. Yeah, and it's so true. So true. Where can people learn more about CAA and the daily action alerts and get involved? Uh, well, we do the majority of our work on Facebook. So um, if you do want to really be involved, the best thing to do is uh, if you're not on Facebook, join and then join CAA by just going to Chicago Alliance for Animals and joining our group. Um, we also are very active on Facebook or I'm, excuse me, on Twitter. Um, our handles at shy chi animal rights um uh but if you know uh, we also have a website unfortunately it's not kept up to date because again that's not something i always get to i'm hoping to get uh uh back on that or or get maybe someone to help me keep our website up to date um of course there's the partnership to ban horse carriages worldwide and that is uh also a Facebook page, as well as Twitter, um, at Van Horse Carriage with one R, <laughs> because I didn't have enough characters. Um, and, you know, they could always reach out via email. It's Chicago Alliance for Animals at Gmail. And it's Chicago Alliance, F-O-R, animals at gmail.com. Thank you, Jody. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. I am, I admire your persistence and dedication and your compassion for all of these animals and all the amazing work that you have done in a short amount of time. Well, I, I greatly appreciate uh, your kind words and, and this opportunity. Um, it, it means a lot to me to hear, but, you know, I, uh, I just, I'm here for the animals and the more people who will join CAA in our, our campaigns is really what, you know, will help us liberate more animals and, and, and more um, exploitative uh, cruelty and free more animals. So thank you for this opportunity for letting me people, letting uh, me talk about it and letting people know about it. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Maybe you can come on again in the future and just, Give some updates about Spur and Rocky and maybe some new campaigns that you're, um, you have new endeavors on. So I would I'd love, love to. Yeah. 